What's up, guys, and welcome back to Beyond the Void Horror Podcast. We're back for our Flesh and Potatoes segment of Thursday. Hope you guys had an amazing first half of the week and made it through any trials and tribulations of crazy stories that you've probably heard in the news or elsewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I know last week was a fuck butt. A fuck Uh, butt. Yeah. That's a a good term. Yeah, maybe that's not a good term. (laughs) It's a fuck butt. <laughs> From the wrong kind of fuck buttery. <laughs> As opposed to the Ow. right kind of fuck buttery. I like smack my eye on you the totally fucking... You totally did. That's like the third time in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been drinking a little bit. Brittany's drinking... What are you drinking? Evan Williams and ginger, ginger ale? ale. Yeah. Don't even fucking judge me. And I'm drinking classy... You're, yeah, okay, wait. Sutter Home. Yeah, you're drinking Sutter Home Merlot. fucking Merlot, so... <laughs> I can't be judged. I don't want to waste it, man. When we used to go to the clubs, we were talking about this earlier. We used to go to the clubs, me and my friend Amanda, which I don't think she listens, but <laughs> we used to go out to the van and we would be at the club and then we'd go out and like buy a double barrel fucking, uh, it's like two bottles of wine basically in one bottle and we would drink that fucking shit for like like an hour out there and just have fun. And then we'd go back to the club, dance, maybe buy another drink or two, smoke and have fun. And I don't know. It was good times at the Transylvania. Good times. The Club Palazzo. It's a vampire club. <laughs> Dude, guys, by the way, this club, at midnight, they turn on the, the fucking black lights. The black lights. The UV lights. All the pictures, all these like really nice cathedral style, like gothic pictures of like... People in like old garb, like in these windows, and then when the black light comes on, you see them getting railed from behind. Straight porn, blowjobs, and then even over the bar, it would be angels all over the ceiling. And then when you turn the black light on, it was like a bunch of demons, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that what it was? Pretty much. Yeah, it was glorious. Good times. Great times. It was our little like a uh, little, uh, you know, our little hidden treasure cove. A little hidden treasure cove. Whatever. Tresen I can't even cove. speak. <laughs> Resin Cove? Have some more set at home. Pot? Ho- pot? pot? <laughs> anyway, so we got a really good episode for you today. We're going to be talking about two of our favorite movies, uh, collectively at least, um, Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. So we're going to be talking about those two gems, which we're going to be calling this episode... What in the Sam Neil? So what in the Sam Neill is happening right now is we're going to be talking about those movies. So we're going to go ahead and just kick it off with our flesh and potatoes, guys. So let's do that right now.
So we're going to kick it off with our What in the Sam Neill episode. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so good. Two amazing movies from the 90s that Sam Neill was a part of, and that's not including Jurassic Park. <laughs> it is, of course, In the Mouth of Madness and Event Horizon. Now, which one did you want to kick off with? I said you first. No way. In the Mouth of Madness. Why, you go first. I got no! to go. I got to read all that shit last time, so it's your turn. All right, so I'm going first. So we're going backwards. This this is a uh, yeah. But see, this is like this is not chronologically correct. Oh, whatever. So that's what I'm saying. We should go in chronologically. But I feel like we order. should pick the better movie last. Fuck off right now. <laughs> if that's the case, then <laughs> that's we are why. picking the better movie. No, it's last. because I did hideous. I did all the info on that. All right, so all right, guys, we're gonna kick it off right out the bats, right out the gates, whatever. We're gonna talk about the better movie that we've talked about this week. Or we're going to talk about this week. Which is Event Horizon, Woo! which actually, as of August fifteenth, is officially twenty years old. Right, Came out August fifteenth of nineteen ninety seven. Coincidence? Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> dun 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 dun. <laughs> um. Anyway, so if you are not familiar with Event Horizon, let me give you a quick synopsis of the film. When the Event Horizon, a spacecraft that vanished years earlier, suddenly reappears, a team is dispatched to investigate the ship. Accompanied by the Event Horizon's creator, William Weir, the crew of the Lewis and Clark, which is led by Captain Miller, begins to explore the seemingly abandoned vessel. However, it soon becomes evident that something sinister resides in its corridors. You don't say. And that the horrors that befell the Event Horizon's previous journey are still present. What the fuck? <laughs> oh my fuck! What the fuck? Oh Jesus! Holy oh, shit! Fuck! <laughs> so, <laughs> Event Horizon, as you may or may not know, was directed by Paul W. S. Anderson, who also directed such films such as Mortal Kombat, the Resident Evil franchise, Alien vs. Predator, the reboot of Death Race, and more. Pompeii Soldier. Well, he did a whole lot of shit, Alex. <laughs> the writer is Philip Eisner, mm -hmm. who was a part of The Mutant Chronicles, which ties into all these movies somehow, and Firestarter 2, Part 2, which part I don't remember seeing. Not at all. So this film starred Lawrence Fishburne, who played Captain Miller, who, as you may know from The Matrix, Apocalypse Now, or Hannibal the TV series, which is how I... Oh, he's great. Oh, he's fantastic. Anyway, Morpheus? Well, yeah, Morpheus. But to me, it's I love him as in, in Hannibal. Anyway, Sam Neill played Dr. William Weir, who is most well-known for his role in Jurassic Park. He's also in Daybreakers, in The Mouth of Madness. Of course. Which we're also going to discuss today. It also stars Kathleen Quinlan, who plays Peters, who was in Apollo 13, The Hills Have Eyes, the 2016 remake, and Horns, or 2006, I'm sorry, 2006 remake, of Hills Have Eyes, not 2016. I'm going to dial that on right back. <laughs> um, and she was also in Horns. Um, Jolie Richardson, who played Lieutenant Stark, who was, I feel, most wildly known for her role in the Nip Tuck TV series. She was also in Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and The Patriot. Richard T. Jones, who played Cooper, who was in the 2014 Godzilla. He was also in Super 8 and Kiss the Girls. Right. Jack Noseworthy played Justin. He's in such films as Surrogates, U571, and Breakdown. And then my last two personal favorites would be Jason Isaacs, who played DJ, 
who my favorite character that he played in any of the films that he was in was he played Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter series. Yeah. He was also in The OA. Mm-hmm. And he was in the Resident Evil movie. He was actually in a lot of Paul Anderson lot of shit. Uh, movies, actually. He was oh. one of his favorite direct, or favorite actors. actors. Right. Did you say Sean Pertwee? I have not gotten to Sean Pertwee oh, okay. yet. But last but not least, Alex, All right. <laughs> is Sean Pertwee who played Smith. He is, for me, most well known as Alfred in the TV series Gotham. Right. He's also in Howl and Devil's Playground. He's in a bunch of shit. Well... And one of my favorite movies that you haven't seen, apparently. Which one? Dog Soldiers. I have not seen Dog, Shul- Dude, Dog Soldiers yet. that is a great... But Sean, Sean Pertwee it did Dog Soldiers, and I think he's a badass in that movie. He was also in Doomsday. Yes. Howl, which I is a new Howl. werewolf movie. Uh, did you say how? I did say how. Oh, okay. Well, he's but it's a new it's a new werewolf movie. And he did The Mutant Chronicles. Yes. Again, another movie that is... Closely related to these two movies. So I'm feeling like next week we're going to be doing werewolves, guys. I think so. Which I'm totally okay with. Yeah. You have not touched werewolves You yet, have so got I to see Full Eclipse. I haven't seen it in so long. Oh, I have it on VHS. It. I just found it. I'm ready. It's amazing. My body is ready. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I want to point out real quick, only because I'm such a fucking nut for Sam Neill. Uh, he was in a movie called Possession. If you haven't seen that, that is amazing. Uh, it's it's really different. It's kind of like uh, it's a little slower thriller type movie. Uh, and he was also in the show Merlin, which he won uh, actually an Emmy and a Globe for. So I didn't really like Merlin. I remember everybody getting in, like all excited about it because it was this new TV show. It was before like Game of Thrones, obviously. But mm. also, he's a Kiwi. He's not English. Although I think his mother was English and they moved to, or the, he was born in Ireland and everybody thinks he's an English person, but he's actually more of a Kiwi because he moved to New Zealand at the age of seven. And something interesting that I found out about him, he was actually one of the candidates for the fourth and fifth actor to play James Bond hmm. in the Living Daylots from 1987 and GoldenEye for 1995. But Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan ended up being those characters. And weird thing about him, too, is that he owns a winery called Two Paddocks in the central Otago region of New Zealand. And it was started in 1993. No. Did you know he was a wine uh, connoisseur? He connoisseur. I kind of feel like you have a little bit of a boner for Sam Neill. I love Sam Neill, man. <laughs> Like, I don't know what it is. He's like, there's so much nostalgia with him, especially with like Jurassic Park. Yeah. And then Event Horizon and In the Mouth of Madness. Like, fuck. Those are like big movies they for me. Big movies. So go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, it's totally fine. You're totally good. So anyway, give me some of your thoughts on this film because you already know that I really enjoy it. Well, so I want to hear your opinion. This movie is very apparently. Um, <laughs> There, it is apparent that they spent way a lot of money on this way movie. Way too much fucking money because the estimated budget was $60 million. Right. And it made like $28 million at the box office. It made about $26.7 million yeah. in the U.S. So not too exactly. good. It made less than half. Big old flop. Yeah. like Big old fucking flop. But the movie, the, like, have you ever noticed that all these movies that don't do good in the box office always end up being called hits? Like, not all of them. I'm mm-hmm. just saying, like... Basically, what it all boils down to is it's something that was released earlier, essentially, than it's ahead it of its should time. have been. Ahead of its time. And this, yeah. this film is 
a perfect example yeah. of that. Well, personally, I feel I love Event Horizon. I think it's a it's a very unique idea that borrows from numerous other movies, mm-hmm. like tons, like eight other films, probably. I mean, there's it's, so many different references from other movies, particularly Hellraiser. It's legitimately Hellraiser in space. <laughs> it it kind of is probably why I like it so much. But the funny thing is, is that Paul Anderson, Paul Wes Anderson, he's such a sci-fi nut. And I think he drew a lot of inspiration from like Ridley Scott and, Mm -hmm. you know, all these like different American versions or, well, I don't know. Ridley Scott's probably a big one. Absolutely. Just because of the set design in this, the set design in this movie was phenomenal. It's beautiful. I felt like there was just so much, like incredible amount of detail that went into this film. The sets were amazing. The designs were amazing. It's like Ridley had sex with the set and came and shit all over the set, like I mean, in his magic. You can easily see where the sixty million fucking dollar budget went. Sixty. Sixty. Did you say sixteen? Sixty. Oh yeah, <laughs> I thought you said sixteen. I was like, oh, what? No. Sixty. Six zero. Yeah. Where the six zero million dollar budget right. estimated budget <laughs> went, you can very clearly see when you look at the sets of this film. It's just it's. It's so well designed. Yeah. And I feel like it's a little bit so overly well designed where it it kind of faults them a little bit in the end. But I don't know. It's it's definitely one that was so far ahead of its time. Yeah. And, and it definitely came out too early to be as thoroughly appreciated as I feel like it should have, which is why it did so well on v- once it was released to VHS. Right. Well, it was one of those movies that came out like, like right in the sort of the tail end of the VHS. So it was like right before DVD was like starting to like really push itself. And I know a lot of people that it's like they're either fans of it or they hate it. Mm-hmm. And I, mean, I hear more fans of it than I do hate it. But the ones that hate it always kind of perplex me. And no offense to anybody in Do You Love Horror Facebook group, but <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think this movie is that bad. It's not that bad. Like, it's not... There's nothing in this movie that makes it that bad. The only thing that I can imagine that people would hate this movie abhorrently is because it's Paul Wes Anderson, who has done all these Resident Evil, like, abominations. Like, no offense. Like, I'm not saying they're all horrible. (laughs) Like, I wouldn't call them abominations. They're not... They're not... They're not exactly what I think the franchise should have done. Personally... The best one in the whole series is the very first one, in my opinion. The first one's my least favorite. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, man. Well, agree to disagree. But yeah, yeah, no, totally. <laughs> like, and that, that's, the, that's the whole point. Like, everybody's got a different opinion. I liked, you know, what's the funny one is I, I actually kind of liked the one in Vegas where it was the I desert. I love that one. I kind of liked it, but it took me like two, three times. Is that Resident Evil Apocalypse? I think so. Yeah. It took me a couple of times to watch that till I really got it, like to actually enjoy it. The second one was like, ooh, like the cheesy little get up that they had. I mean, it was cool, but it wasn't like it was like. I I love I do love the original. Right. The first one. Michael Epps was in the second one, right? Yeah. I I do like the first one. It it was fun in its own right. But out of every one of them in the franchise, it's one of my least favorites the first one the first one and i just the i'm the best one i know and that's why everybody loves it and i just i just didn't have that same connection to it as well you know marilyn manson did. did the did the music for that well, marilyn manson's a g so <laughs> i think that was like his first score 
that he actually did for if a not movie. the first one of the first. Yeah, he didn't do all the music. He just did a few songs. Right. Anyway, but Paul Wes Anderson is kind of a, like a hot button for some people. Yeah. Like you either hate him or you are okay or yeah. Well, I mean, most people like don't like some of his movies, but there is a large cult following that follow his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't hate everything that he does. He's in a lot of shit that I really love. Yeah. So I'm I think gonna... personally this movie is his best movie. This is my favorite. Yeah. This is the best movie he's ever done. Absolutely. I mean, this is my favorite of all the films that he's touched. Sure. Even though he's borrowed so heavily from a million different other films. The original, like, rough draft or, like, whatever of this film, they came back to them and they were like, oh, fucking fuck no. Yeah. You know, because it was too fucking gory. It was too fucking obscure. It was way out here when they wanted it here. And it was supposed to be about an hour and 40 minutes, guys. Mm -hmm. It was. It was a lot longer than the actual theatrical version that was released. And they had to cut about, what, 30 minutes of the film in order to fit it down. Right. And they had to cut out pretty much every fucking, like, gory, intensive scene that they had including a big portion of the uh, like orgy sex scene that they had involved in it and a lot of the just like the hell picturesque like aftermath aftermath right. that they portrayed a little bit towards the end. So they really had to dial that back. I really wish that they would be able to fucking get that film. They can't, it's lost. And they can't. It's basically gone. And yeah. you know, and and they've explained it and I understand how it's lost or why it's lost or whatever because they didn't necessarily like set it up and record it the way that they should have um in order for the new age of technology to switch it from this age to this age right and so it's it's pretty much gone and that's extremely disappointing because what we do have and the little snippets that we see are fucking incredible right and i think i think the ones that were on the fence about this movie and wanted a little bit more, I think that extra footage would have taken them there. Brought them there. Absolutely. I completely agree. Like, that would have brought them back to, holy fuck, this is fantastic. Because those short, brief little clips that you get, especially towards the end of the film with I have Like one or two second clips, yeah. I have such sights to show you, essentially, is what he fucking says. Like, he basically says the whole fucking... Well, no, the girl says that, and then he says something like, let me show you. Yeah, it's just like, fuck, man. (laughs) It's so fucking Hellraiser. But yeah, I I honestly, it's like one of the hardest things that I have to deal with is knowing that there's all this extra footage that would have greatly been an advent thing to this film i believe it was what was it an hour no 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 i'm sorry guys i wasn't an hour and 40 minutes it was supposed to be it's originally about two hours long yeah it was going to be about two hours long about an hour and a half like when right it's hour and 35 actually right now and it's about 30 minutes of of film that they had to cut in order to cut it down yeah to reach the rating that it did so they could they could have it right and i think even though the original content of the film like what we got to see and we never got to see aside from that i feel like it left a lot to the imagination so i think some of the people that really like it just wanted to see more of that hell Mm -hmm. and so that's why they're fans of it because it's like it kind of stimulates their imagination a little bit because the pictures they do show if you ever get a chance to like freeze frame some of these segments there's some fucking nuts shit going on in this fucking movie like crazy so many maggots 
Well, yeah, they, they, they were saying that like so many they had maggots. two different main uh, special effects people, and the chick who did it was like all into the maggots, and the other person who did it was all into the other thing, and how mm-hmm. everybody did not look forward to coming to work that day. Well, they had two different ideas planned for specifically when they really start getting into it, when they have... Um, Catherine Quinlan's character, who plays Peters, right, who has the flashbacks or or whatever for her son, right, with his like fucked up legs, Mama Bear, Mama Bear, um, but they what they settled on was the clip where she sees him in the medic bay under the tarp and shit, and she opens it up and they they show his legs and they're all right. kind of like bruised and deformed, like, fucked up or whatever. Originally, how they wanted that to be portrayed was he had fucking maggots climbing all out of these wounds and shit in his fucking legs. And it was like a million times worse than how they ended up portraying it in the final cut of that scene. So stupid. And I feel like, why would that be a difference? Like, between maggots and just open wounds? I don't I don't get it. But I, to me, that's not any worse. But I guess back in the 90s, it could come across a little bit more obscene or obscure and a little bit more than what people wanted to see. Right. And and for a $60 million budget, like... Fuck, man. Damn. <laughs> I was like blown the fuck away That's a when lot I of saw money. how much money went into this film. Right. How many movies get made with that budget? Well, some of the bigger ones do. Like do. I think like Deadpool was but about that much. But in 97? Yeah. How many fucking movies got away with a $60 million fucking dollar no. budget? But you can see in the set design in particular is where... A lot of that money went. And the the funny thing is, was the the rotational shot that they had of the space station mm-hmm. over Earth um, actually took almost a third. Yeah, I heard that. Of the budget of the entire film. Yeah. That alone for that $20 one, million. Dollars. What was it? 10 second fucking shot. Yeah. Took a third of their fucking budget. It's crazy. That's insane. But it was necessary. You needed to have it in there. That's insane. But then you think about the rest of it and you go, okay, so how much of this went to your actors? Because you have two pretty big fucking name actors, at least at that time, being Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill. Right. They are big fucking actors at that time. Sure. And everybody else wasn't fucking like run of the mill. But I mean, they were kind of a little bit new. Some of them were a little bit new at that point in time. That's but right. Yeah. He did big. say that. He, he picked, they both, like the producer and him both picked like highly talented people as well as very young talent. And the producer was even saying, he's like, you know, he's like, you never want to have a film where you put this together and you have nothing but great talent because you never get anything new from that. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to take a risk with some new hot young talent and throw them in there and put them, throw them in the deep end essentially to do it. Now, this movie in particular has like over 200 effects people, practical, visual, makeup, like all of this shit, these set design, like this, this was like, there was so much talent in this they, movie. They put a lot of their money and a lot of their time into the effects. Oh, yeah. That they had for this film. And it is very apparent. Paul and the, and the, it. and the producer specifically said, he was like, this was supposed to be a visually effective, you know, like a movie. Yeah. And we wanted to push the boundaries like no one else had done. And you can tell. I mean, there is some, like, bad CGI compared to now, but for its time, like, it was still really amazing. For its time, it's pretty fucking cutting edge. Right. There's some shit where you go back and you're just like, hmm, okay. However, 
if you were to watch this movie for the first time in 1997, when it came out, your mind is going to be fucking blown all over that theater. Right. And uh, maybe that's why I have such a big boner for this movie. <laughs> because I, I look at films from that standpoint a lot of the time. Beautiful set design, beautiful makeup work, beautiful film. Everything about it, how it's done is so precise. Right. And I mean, especially when you cut into the scenes where he kind of crawls into the circuitry. Oh, yeah. And the the whole, it's just circuit board upon circuit board upon circuit board upon circuit board. Like, it's just never fucking ending. And that is absolutely fucking gorgeous. Yeah. If it's fucking CGI'd or whatever, you can't tell. It looks like they straight up built this entire like stage that particular shot in in particular they said they wanted to use that color that particular color of green because it just makes you feel eh, like it uncomfortable. Makes you feel uncomfortable yeah that was one of the scenes that they used to get the guy who actually used the camera to get on board he apparently is like he's super talented first of all and he would just be like yeah that looks okay but everybody be blown away at his shots. Yeah, it was Adrian Biddle. So he he was like, everybody loved him. And they all accredit the movie for its beautiful, like how beautiful it is to him. Even though he doesn't give himself credit. And I mean, you're your own worst critic at all points. Yeah. For most movies that cost this much money, you're talking about like a year and a half at least. Mm-hmm. They made this movie in 10 months. Yeah. And over the weekends of those 10 months, for approximately about 86 to 90 days, they had a second unit that would shoot all the hell scenes. Now, if you've seen the movie, the hell scenes are literally combined like 30 seconds throughout the whole movie. But they spent 90 days on all the prosthetics, the gore, everything for that scene. And a lot of that would have been in the, the 30 minutes that they cut. A lot of it. I'm so disappointed by I that. Am too. And, and it, I know you guys who are listening who are fans of that are probably pissed too. It breaks my fucking heart, man. It's never like, coming it's back, just, guys. It's never, we're never going to get it. Never. We're never going to get it. We're never going to see it. We're never going to fucking know that 30 minutes that he had to cut in order to make this like critically accessible yeah so he could release it to a wide range of people and i kind of wish but i mean he had a 60 million dollar budget so he had to release it the way he did but i i don't know i think in the long run this movie would have made i mean it's still making them good money now i would oh absolutely i would think absolutely and i know that there's gonna be some people listening that have never heard of this movie and are gonna go holy fuck like hellraiser in space i'm totally on board right like (laughs) And and they should be, and it's it wasn't just a movie that I don't know I I love it. Well, to give you guys kind of a better idea of what the story is, in case you've never heard of it, essentially there is this spacecraft called the Event Horizon that was built by this guy Doctor Weir, who was played by Sam Neill. Sam Neill sent this ship out a crew, and the crew got sent out, and then all of a sudden it disappeared for. I think it was like seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Correct. And seven years later, it shows back up on their radar in the solar system somewhere, and they have to take another spaceship out with Mister with Dr. Weir and a whole crew to basically find out where it went and what happened with the crew and all this other shit, and nobody knows what it's all about except for Dr. Weir. So this whole military sort of staff is clueless. 
And they like start to ask him, like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, we're supposed to be going home. What the fuck are you making us come out here? So Sam Neill explains it. And when he does explain it, it's about a a ship that can basically bend space and time. And he uses a piece of paper where he draws a point on one end of the paper and a point on the other end of the paper, same paper. And then he folds it in the middle and pokes a pencil through the center. And he's like, this is how we travel. Instead of from point A to point B, we bring point A and point B together, folding time and space and travel through a wormhole to get to this place. This is what happened with the ship. We don't know where it went. That's why we're trying to figure it out. Coincidentally, the movie Interstellar that came out in, I think, 2015 or 2014, Mm -hmm. used the exact same explanation that Sam Neill used in the movie. I love that, by the way. Yeah. When I watched that movie, I was like, the horizon. <laughs> cute. Real cute. But you don't find out, like, what exactly is going on. No. It, it does things a little bit, a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, than a lot of the sci-fi horror fiction shit that came out around the same time. Sure. The ship itself is the evil entity. Their fears and their insecurities on the surface. Right. And then there's people on the ship that bear their burdens a lot deeper right and they have deep-seated secrets that nobody knows about except for themselves but the ship finds out the ship understands and the ship exploits it right and that's how it kind of creates these monsters inside of them and brings everything out and i loved that the psychology behind that is absolutely incredible well that's it's very typical trope in the sense of hell and i can't say it's typical necessarily at the time although it is because everybody can thinks of hell as is like your worst memories, everything that you live with that you regret, all of your regrets come back to visit you, all the nightmares you have, that is hell. Mm-hmm. Like it is like watching people that you care about die. It's it's like watching people that you love like go through pain and, and being helpless or leaving them helpless or doing a bad decision where you could have helped them and you left them alone. So that this ship preys on that. Yeah. Now Paul Wes Anderson has been like I I said previously that he was a huge sci-fi fan and uh, he read a lot of like British novels, like sci-fi novels. Uh, but he was mostly influenced by American cinema. Now, he, he was also inspired by The Shining when he made this movie, which makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Uh, and he was also inspired by Ridley Scott, which I had mentioned, especially with the set design. Um, the original script, though, for this movie, because and, and this is kind of a spoiler, guys, but I'm assuming that 80% of you have probably seen this movie. It's not a huge spoiler or anything, but... Essentially, the space has gone to hell and back. Mm-hmm. It is broken so far into wherever it went that it broke through a dimension and went into some hell, just pure hell, and the ship got marinated in it and came back. But the original script was supposed to be about the craft going to another dimension and landing on another planet that was inhabited by all these aliens. And the aliens would take over the ship, which... Apparently, Anderson did not want to do aliens. So he was like, that's so typical of space. You know, like, I don't want to do Ridley Scott, even though I love Ridley Scott. He was like, so I want to do a haunted house movie with a spaceship. Mm -hmm. So he said, much like The Shining or The Haunting, he said he really liked the ambiguities of those movies because they didn't end perfectly. 
like they kind of left it open a little bit and he wanted it to be kind of just that haunted house feeling uh something new in space which really technically it is it is there's the only movie that i could even compare it to as far as haunted or hell or anything like that is what hellraiser Hellraiser. three Mm -hmm. no four the one where they go to space and they try to unlock the cube and then ghost ship which is about the the ship (laughs) which is really bad hate that fucking movie <laughs> everybody likes that scene hate though that fuck, the opening scene yeah the opening scene the where opening everybody gets cut in fucking half fantastic but that doesn't make the rest that of the is movie it. yeah that is fucking it and if you try and say that that movie's great and you base it on the opening scene you're a fucking idiot because that movie <laughs> is fucking trash <laughs> i don't opening, hate it the opening scene for that movie is fan fucking tastic it's beautifully done yeah and it is completely just emotionally and thought provoking and it, they do a great job with it visually stunning but the rest of that movie is pure fucking garbage but it still is the only movie i could really compare it to in the theme that this one i is. can i can kind of see yeah i mean it's not in space meh, but it's on a ship meh, i don't know meh, meh. <laughs> 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 that's my thoughts on it is meh. <laughs> um some factoids on this um you know joseph bennett he was the production designer for this. He was mm-hmm. the he was like super young. He was one of the guys that we were talking about who was really young, didn't have a lot of experience, and they brought him on to be the set designer. And Paul Wes Anderson is one of those people who's a hands-on kind of designer as well. He wants things to look a specific way, and he needed someone that he could collaborate with. So they didn't want to get somebody that was too like well acclimated where they wouldn't work with Wes Anderson. Right. And a lot of the people were like, that's a really good director is when they're able to like take on extra roles a little bit, which I would assume that if I was hired for something, I'd be like, let me run my, you know, thing. But apparently they worked really well together. And they took a really big risk on him because this is a huge budget movie for this guy. Mm-hmm. He'd never done anything like that. So I, just, I still can't imagine sixty million dollars in ninety-seven. Right? That's sixty million dollars. Fucking Christ! Sixty million dollars is a lot in twenty seventeen. Well, yeah. Twenty years later, we're like barely seeing movies like that mm-hmm. that are horror movies. It's insane. Right. It's a very rare thing to come across a horror movie that's more than what a twenty million dollar budget nowadays well, yeah it's true a lot of Bloomhouse movies always shoot low for the like budget and then they end up making like two or three times that I budget i feel like that's the way you should do it right in in horror though is aim a little bit lower and your expectations are going to shoot fucking high try to come up with like a golden they, idea i like when they aim lower but they don't have their standards low right and it's it's done very very well so i don't i don't know but i, I don't even give i don't fucking care <laughs> I don't fucking care. I don't give a fuck if this movie had a $60 million budget or a $5 million budget. It's fucking fantastic. I don't care if it borrowed from a million other different stories or ideas. Like, it was fucking fun to me. Yeah. I loved it the day I saw it 10 years ago, and I loved it now. Sure. Just, I mean, I don't it think held it's... up. I just don't think it's a perfect film. Oh, it's but, not. There's there, so many inaccuracies. But there is a lot of really cool stuff that they did in this film and stuff that you wouldn't think about while you're watching the movie that they had to go through. For example, one of the suits, that the, this, the suits that they wore, these things were fucking insanely <laughs> heavy, dude. It's like, funny you're going to... I was actually going to touch on that. So oh, it, I don't know. It, I it's didn't... interesting that you um, brought that up. Yeah. 
because it, this is something that was incredibly uncomfortable for the actors to partake in because yeah. the suits weighed 65 pounds. And they, and they could only be in them for 10 minutes at a time. Be, yeah, because extended use of them standing up would cause fucking back problems. And they couldn't sit because of the and backpacks. They, the, yeah, the fucking backpacks. They can't right. sit. So they actually, they literally installed what they called hanging poles. He said leaning poles. Leaning poles, hanging yeah. poles, what the fuck ever, across the fucking set so they could have a space to literally fucking hang their backs on yeah, to relax just to between get a little, takes yeah. to get a little bit of a fucking reprieve. So these people literally did not just sacrifice their fucking time to be there. They put their bodies on the fucking line right. to take part in this film. Plus they had... And that's insane to me. Like The person who designed the helmets and stuff, like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched Alien where you see, like, the helmets fog up. Paul Wes Anderson was like, well, it looks really awesome. At the time, they didn't have the like know-how to make like a bodysuit that would have fans in it. So these ones actually had fans, even though they were like extremely heavy for these actors. I mean, you're standing there for ten hours at a time. So if you can imagine carrying around sixty and in one place for Mm -mm. hours, I can't imagine being in a fucking sixty-five pound suit and working for ten hours on a set. It would drive me nuts. And I can't sit. I gotta hang on a pole like an (laughs) asshole between my fucking takes. Fuck that. Like, no, thank you. They said that uh, Fishburne was one of the people that everybody really enjoyed being around, as well as Sam Neill. Sam Neill was like the jokester guy. Like, Isaacs, the guy that played DJ, he was like saying, oh, man, he was like, Sam Neill almost seemed like he didn't even take acting seriously, but he was so good at it. Mm-hmm. I can he totally was like, see that from he him. Was like, he was just like a jokester. He just had a fun time. He was just so char- charismatic. Fishburne was like very intimidating to Isaacs. He was like scared of him. Oh, he'd be the most, I, out of everybody on that cast, he'd be the one I'd be the most afraid of. Right. Well, and this is like one of the bigger films that Isaacs has done. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, he played DJ, but he said that... um when he first met him, Fishburne was like, hey, what do you think? Do you think I did a good job in that scene right there? He's like, do you think I should have done anything else? And he was like, uh, uh. You're perfect, man. I don't know. Uh, he was like, well, <laughs> maybe you could have like gone through the cabinets or something like that. And then he was like, hmm, okay, hmm. And then he was like, what did I just say? I just said that to Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> like, I'm so scared. Why did I do that? Um, I love it. Isaacs ended up calling him, instead of Fishburne, he would call him Florence. Florence. Yeah. Oh, is that was that in your research too? Yeah. Oh, okay. I saw, I saw a little bit of that too. Yeah, they called him Florence, and it kind of stuck with the whole cast. It's cute. Uh, Paul Wes Anderson really doesn't get to see the actors a whole lot, but he was like at the time he was kind of like a fitness buff. So after they would continue, after they were done shooting, he would go to work out, and Lawrence Fishburne would do the same. So the first time that they ran into each other in this place, Paul said he walked in on Lawrence Fishburne doing sit-ups on that bar where you put your feet up and you hang your feet on it. And Lawrence was like doing push-ups, and he was like, "Hey man, how's it going?" He's like, "Yeah," and he was like, "Only Lawrence Fishburne can look cool upside down, by the way, oh, like that." Sure. <laughs> he was like. It was so funny, though. He was like, he talked to me for like a good five, eight minutes. As he's doing sit-ups. As he was, well, he was doing sit-ups and he was just sitting there standing, like laying upside down. And it became apparent that he gotten past all the niceties. And Lawrence Fisherman was like, uh, can you, I'm, I'm stuck. <laughs> I can't get up. I've done too many sit-ups and my stomach hurts too bad to move up. <laughs> fucking die here. So Paul had to actually help him get out of the fucking thing 
And he thought it was just so funny. I thought that was a funny little story. Yeah, it's cute. He's so young and cut in that movie. Right? A lot of the actors really worked really well together. I think there was a lot of really strong cast here. There was. And they actually had two different casting people. Director, or yeah. Where they had a United States casting and then they had a UK casting. So it was like two very different worlds, essentially, that they cast. But everybody worked very well. There was a good rapport between all the actors. Like You couldn't feel any... like there was nothing tense there was no the animosity between very, them it very yeah. it felt very fluid it yeah. felt like it worked very very well from start to finish they did a great job for their casting for this sure film. i mean some of the cast like i know that i heard that um the, the what's her name that played kathleen quinlan kathleen quinlan right she's peters mm-hmm. she a lot of the people on the set felt like she was like an actual mother like to well, all of them totally a mama bear right and she was called mama bear by Justin in the in the movie, um, Joel Richardson he comes uh, a she Jolie excuse me Richardson who plays Lieutenant Stark she comes from like really classical acting mm-hmm. so she kind of brought like a class to the whole fucking thing she her original role was supposed to be a male role so and they beat the shit out of her in that movie by the mm-hmm. way um, really good yeah I think so she takes the most fucking beating out of pretty much anybody in that film. Richard T. Jones was fresh to, he'd never been out of the country. He moved to, he came to the UK with his fresh new wife. Cooper. Yeah, Cooper. <laughs> he was like, everybody. Oh, I did not expect to fucking live till the end of that movie. <laughs> everybody on the set was like, hey, he was like Ugh. the fucking hot guy. Yeah. Fresh, hot, new talent. He was the hot guy, super energetic, always ready for his scenes. He didn't get even that much like screen time either. Not that much. Collectively, and, it's not a lot of time. But he was actually fun. I like. I thought he kind of kept a fun flow to it. I love his character. It was a little silly. Oh, he's absolutely the comedic relief. Yeah. Out of all of the characters, he is the comedic relief. Yeah. Out of them all. Hands I'm down. a motherfucking badass. He's fucking like, hilarious, though. Like yeah. it doesn't. Even, it works for me. There's no disconnect between his character and his comedic factor that he has mm-hmm. compared to anybody else. Yeah. Like I mean, a, a lot of the scenes with him were a little bit silly, a little bit stupid, and more slapsticky. But he was funny, and he was that necessary reprieve that people actually needed. Yeah, he was, um, well, actually, that guy in particular, he had to do some wire work, obviously, because he's, like, floating around in space and shit. (laughs) Apparently. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm just going to blow my air. I'm going to blow my air. air. I'm I'm coming for (laughs) you. What does he say? It's like, I'm coming for you, motherfuckers. Yeah, basically. Like, it's just, (laughs) oh, so fucking Apparently, he was scared of all that wire work, though. Hot and black inside you? He was really scared of the wire work, though. He didn't like it. Like, he I mean, I was can... really against it. But Lawrence Fishburne was like a fucking, like, it was like natural to him. He was like, whatever. And this is before Matrix, by the way. Yeah. So, like, they weren't doing wire work, but this, this, he did, Lawrence apparently did better at it. He's a fucking badass. Did you know that, <laughs> that, that huge engine that they have with the ball and the, like, sphere the and shit? The control room? Right. Right. Was that the control room? Well, the. There's the engine. Right, but the the what made the black hole so they right. could travel through time. Right. Originally, yeah. it was supposed to be like a black, huge black pearl that was just floating in the center, but they turned it into that. I think. Yeah, I'm glad I, they did. I kind of do too. Yeah, that's I'm what I was thinking. Did. That whole room that they made, that whole sphere with everything, took them four months to make. It's so fucking steampunk and it's badass. It's really cool, man. So badass. 
like seeing them put it together in the in the in the making of, I was like, oh, that kind of takes away from it. I just want to see it like how it is. Straight fucking hell room. It's man. all metal. It's like so that's all beautiful. I need to see. Because like those walls are made out of plat like rubber. Well, but I mean, consider how many characters are bouncing off that shit later <laughs> right? on in the film. Of course, it's gonna be made out of fucking rubber. <laughs> like they can't have people bouncing off of some fucking hard ass like metal and fuck. Oh man, ah, I love it. Well, this is your favorite movie, one of your favorite movies. So why don't you go ahead and kick off with some of your favorite scenes? It's one of my, it's one of my favorite sci-fi movies ever, ever made. And sure. as I've already previously stated, don't care how heavily it fucking like Hated. takes and borrows from other th- films or whatever. Sure. My favorite scene is going to be the scene, even though it's so, so deeply ripped off of Hellraiser, um, when Sam Neill comes up and pi- like picks up Lawrence Fishburne's head pretty much and says that he's got such fucking sights or whatever the fuck he's going to say to show Let him. Let me show you. Let me show you. And it goes into the hell scenes, like a very quick, brief piece with the head on the spike and Justin's character with all the blood and um, Stark's character where she's kind of pinned up and she's bleeding from fucking everywhere, but she's got maggots all over her face and her mouth. They show a little bit more in depth of Jason Isaac's character as DJ split into all these pieces with oh, the organs stomach. and shit on the table. And yeah. then every, Oh, it's so beautiful. Like that is those a two are your favorite beautifully done scene and it's so dark it's so gross it's just dismal as fuck and it really kind of hones you in to what they're trying to portray Mm -hmm. the entire time from that movie they're really trying to get you to understand that feeling that the reality is much worse that really kind of takes it home sam neil when he was doing that scene with lawrence fishburne that you were talking about where he's like in his skin he's all cut up with all these like all the cuts symbols and shit on him all the satanic imagery apparently that room was like freezing it was like really cold and he was wearing like nothing but like this latex suit Mm -hmm. like this thin latex suit and they had to be on that set for a long time so he had to like step in the water and like was freezing and he was just like a really good sport like about it apparently so i was gonna say one of my favorite scenes is probably where dr weir sam neill's character he like places the a bomb on this ship and then smith who is played by pertwee eventually finds the bomb he's like frantically searching everywhere for this and then he's like got you and then he opens it up, and it's like five seconds, and you see a look on his face. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I love that scene too, and I like it breaks my heart a little bit because I love his character. Yeah, I know he's a great actor. I'm, I think fantastic. he's really underrated. He absolutely is underrated, and yeah. but now he's he's getting his own. Yeah, because Gotham is doing so fucking fantastic. Right, I hope he does more. He is so great as Alfred in that series. Right, I love that scene too, as much as it breaks my fucking heart. Because he's just so adorable. It's such a great scene. But I really loved the scene where Kathleen Quinlan's character, who plays Peters, who's the medic. Oh, yeah. Okay. When she is trying to leave with, what is it? The CO2 or C2, whatever the fucking containers. And she's like 25 of them. Was it DJ or was it, was it, um, it was Cooper. Was it 
I think it was no, Cooper it was or it was DJ. DJ or Smith. You might be right. It was DJ or Smith. It wasn't Cooper. It was one of the two. I can't remember. Um, that goes with her to conta- to collect these containers. And he takes off fucking running. And she hears what she believes is her crippled son. Yeah. And she kind of looks back and she sees him in his little shadowy figure or whatever, like running off. And she follows him up through all these like little staircases and shit that she follows. And the psychology behind that that was so fucking dark and so twisted and so evil like that was one of the worst scenes and the worst like most like tug at your heartstrings kind of sure. um imagery that they created for it this shows entire a lot film. of pain it was a lot of pain and a lot of depth and i feel out of all of the guilts and the fears that they touched on from all the characters hers were the most easily to understand sure but the most difficult to watch yeah I agree. I think those and are pretty, pretty poignant, poignant, uh, painful moments. They did a great job, though, and her, and even though she didn't have as many lines, no, um, it was a good her role. Dialogue yeah. was very minimal. Um, how she portrayed that and how she executed her actions and her feelings throughout that were so well received, and I feel like that's something that's a little bit discounted towards the end. Sure. Um, but that whole play out of that part, like at from beginning to her death in that scene, is just beautiful yeah no i think so too i think it has a lot of impact yeah it's great and it's just like and that was the most painful sure of of the deaths that i felt personally and i was like fuck man like that was the one that i think resonated with the most people and got the biggest reaction among everybody else it it solidifies the evil it absolutely does that makes you really understand right what's happening and what they're trying to portray so it it did a i I loved it the only other one that i can think of that i thought was really cool was the whole thing where the character Justin goes flying out the airlock and like that whole scene was really tense and it just like you see Lawrence Fishburne that had to jump through the fucking thing. Actually, right. when they filmed that, they shot it from the top down. So that like dropped him through the hole rather than push him horizontally. Correct. So it looked like he was coming through, but it's space. So it does. It p- makes perfect sense. But that whole scene where he's like, you can see his veins oh, popping up yes. and then the blood popping out of his eyes and his mouth. And like, that was like really cool. That slow cameras that they show of the blood kind of like squirting squirting from his eyes with his yeah. hands covering his eyes and her being like baby bear or whatever like as she's talking to him Kathleen Quinlan's character again right so good and just the makeup effects are incredible yeah it looked really good and all this the vein work and er- oh so I don't even know if that was like visual effects or practical effects I love that scene it looked cool though no that that scene's great and, and he's like convulsing while Fishburne is yeah. like flying him in that's another one that evokes a lot of fucking emotion from the viewer. Sure, but I was thinking the whole time, though, I'm like, would someone really ever survive from an airlock like no. that? Like, they would have just yeah. imploded, like... I thought the same thing. I yeah. was like, I don't... Logistically, would this actually happen? No. No, yeah. For a film, this works. It, it was cool. cool. Yeah, it's, it's a really good moment. It's really interesting to watch, but there's a whole lot of fucking things that would never actually fucking happen. Well, that and are the just fact that he, like, up. I thought it was really cool the moment where that character Justin, like, actually touch, touches the black pool and then goes in. Guess, yeah. Like, that was a really cool uh, effect and it was a cool moment and it looked really beautiful and it was dark and, like, made you a- wonder and mysterious. It was incredibly tense. Yeah. And that's what they did a great job of. 
in this movie is creating those tense moments that made you go, yeah, kind of cringe and be very uncomfortable. It just makes me want. I just wish I would have. I just maybe more would have been too much. I I think it would have been maybe, but I still I just want to see it. I want to make that but choice for myself. You know how I feel about about movies that rely too heavily on jump scares and shit like sure. that. And that would have drove me up the fucking wall. Yeah. If they would have had more than what they had. I don't think there was that they many did, jump scares. There wasn't. But they did a really good job of creating a genuine uncomfortable atmosphere mm-hmm. and a genuine fear amongst people watching it. They did sure. a very good job of balancing that fine line between what's realistic scare versus what's just cheesy and fucking stupid. They did a really good job about it. I definitely like it. I, I mean, know there's a lot of people who don't like it, or not a lot, but there's a handful of people who don't like it and who just think it's stupid or whatever, and I feel like it's because they, they think it pulls too much from other movies. Maybe. I don't know if it's that necessarily. I think I think it's more just the Paul Wes Anderson hate. Probably. And it just it stems from something that I feel like is just not as justifiable as it should be. But I still like it. I, I think it's a great movie. It's a great it's movie. It's definitely in my top ten or twenty at least. It's one of my favorite sci fi films to ever be made. I tend to look period. I look forward to watching it each year. So. Yeah, I watch it at least once every couple of months and I love it more every single time. There's only one other movie that I can think of that would beat it, and that's actually In the Mouth of Badness. Well, of course it is for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually one of my top five films. This but is... In the Mouth of Madness, uh, I figure we might as well jump into that right oh, yeah, now. Oh, yeah, right away. We're, Go for it. We're there. Time-wise. Get it. In the Mouth of Madness came out in 1994, and the story is with the disappearance of a hack horror writer, Sutter Kane, all hell is breaking loose. Literally. <laughs> Author Kane, it seems, has a knack for description that really brings his evil, creepy crawlies to life. Insurance investigator John Trent, played by Sam Neill, is sent to investigate Kane's mysterious vanishing act and ends up in the sleepy little East Coast town of Hobbs End. The fact that this town even exists as a figment of Kane's twisted imagination is only the beginning of Trent's problems. <laughs> this one was directed by John Carpenter, who is, you know, huge. He's probably one of my favorite directors. He said it's about his 15th or 16th film that he ever made, and it is part of the three in the Apocalypse trilogy, starting with The Thing, then Prince of Darkness, and then this one. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't really know that. I didn't know that. I mean, I think they just call it a trilogy afterwards. And he just liked the idea. So he kind of grabbed onto I it. I, I'm not going to even try and front either because I was not aware of that at all. Mm-mm. I and may so, have heard of it before, but I just didn't put it. But it was like an in theory kind of conversation. Sure. Makes and sense. when I did a little bit more research upon this before we watched it, I was like, oh my God. Writer and producer Michael DeLuca actually wrote this film. Who is He's mainly a producer, by the way. He actually wrote the screenplay for Freddy's Dead. Uh, he did the story for Judge Dredd. Mm. <laughs> produced uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, the Leatherface version. Uh, he actually produced also Freddy's Dead, this movie, Dark City, Blade, American History X. And he's even actually working on a new film called <laughs> Metro 2033. It's an international bestseller book about apocalyptic sort of like aliens, creatures underground. It's a video game. It's called Metro 2033. And then there's Metro Light, Last Light. 
Um, but they're really cool games, and I actually played them. I've never read the book. I'm really excited that he's actually going to be doing that, so I'm curious to see what he does with that as a production. Uh, the cast, obviously, is Sam Neill as John Trent. Julie Carmen as Linda Stiles. She plays. She was in Fright Night 2 and Gargantua. Jorgen Prock, or that's what they usually call him, Jorgen Prock. Now is his last name, so Jorgen Prochnow as Sutter Kane. He was in The Seventh Sign, which I just watched recently with Demi Moore. Judge Dredd, Beverly Hills Cop 2, Das Boot, Dune, The Keep, which is a super awesome fucking Nazi supernatural flick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twin Peaks, Fire, Walk With Me, and House of the Dead. Also, John Glover who plays Sapperstein. He was in Gremlins 2. He was the boss of the building. He also was in RoboCop 2, Scrooged as the boss that was coming in to fill in Frank's position uh, for Bill Murray, and Batman and Robin. Uh, Many others, of course, but... Also, Bernie Casey comes in as Robinson. He was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was the guy that said, be excellent to each other. I just watched that yesterday. <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> it's so weird. That's like such a bit role for him. Okay. Uh, he was also in Another 48 Hours, Spies Like Us, the movie TV movie Ants, Never Say Never Again, the James Bond film. Peter Jason comes in as Mr. Paul. He's from They Live, mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat, Alienation which I need to rewatch some of that. Prince of uh, Darkness, he was in that movie. Dreamscape, 48 Hours, Arachnophobia, and even Village of the Damned. Uh, Also, Frances Bay, who plays the old lady behind the counter at the hotel in Hobbs End, she actually was in Happy Gilmore as his grandma. Yes! (laughs) She was also in Twin Peaks, the TV show, and Firewalk With Me. She was also in Karate Kid, and Pit and the Pendulum as well. Oh, Pit and Pendulum. Yeah. Th- and this movie so actually only had an $8 million budget. Not insane. That's crazy. Yeah. That's insanely crazy. $8 million. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have thought this was at least a $30 million budget. I wouldn't go as far as 30 but like... Maybe like 25. 20. I don't know, man. All the creature effects and shit in the No, it's this. fucking dope. Like, and this movie, this movie came out in 1994. Right. Three years before that's fucking why, Event Horizon. That's why I wouldn't go as far as, as you did for the, the million dollar budget. But I, I feel like it's far more than eight. Right. I feel like it's way more than eight. Yeah. I, I, and, and the sad thing is, is that it only made $8.9 million at the box office, which is insane to me because this is one of my favorite John Carpenter films that he's made. And it is completely and critically underrated. Oh, absolutely. Like just insanely underrated movie, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's actually got a 51% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Well, <laughs> Both of these movies that we're talking about have like pretty shit fucking like reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, but they're cult movies. Absolutely, yeah. they are. I feel like a lot of the movies we talk about have really shitty fucking reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, and therefore Rotten Tomatoes. I don't really give a flying fuck what people have to say most for the most of the time. This is my baby. Regarding, these I love movies. this movie, but I know you do. Mouse loves this movie too. Is it and, his favorite of the two? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. He loves this movie. He loves Event Horizon, but he loves In the Mouth of Madness a the million most, times yeah. more. And, and I, I understand why. Mm-hmm. I don't. <laughs> Wait, you understand why, but you I don't like it. I understand why he feels the same way that you do about it. But out of the two, it is not my favorite. Yeah. 
at all. I mean, this is up there. No, this movie is fantastic. There's like, it's like The Thing, it's Videodrome, so The Blob, The Remake. And I think that's why, because he... And this one. Like, those are four that I can just name off off the top. He fucking loves Videodrome. Does he? So, and that's like, you and I kind of, you and him kind of like wanted to bone about that fact for a minute. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like, he really, really loves this movie, and it's definitely his favorite of the two. Yeah. And I get it. I understand. I see where you're both coming from in respects to that. It's just, for me, it's Have not, you ever read H.P. But... Lovecraft, though? Oh, yeah. Okay. See, for me, like, honestly, like, and I'm just going to kick it off with my thoughts. because yeah, go for it. This is my cum fest. This is your baby. Yeah, I'm going to squirt in my mouth over this oh, one. Oh, Jesus. I absolutely adore this movie. I think it is so... For $8 million, even just makes me love it even more. Like, there is so much heart in this movie. It is, to me, the the closest interpretation of an H.P. Lovecraft story that, you know, it's not, a, it's not an adaptation. It is just the closest adaptation that you could possibly get, in my opinion. I like some of the fucking, you know, other movies that they did, like Reanimator and, like, From Beyond and shit like that. Don't get me wrong on that. But this, it, I'm sorry, it beats it. No, I, mean, <laughs> I and I get people upset with me about that. It's just, it's just. It's your opinion. It just has this entire spirit about it that I love so much. It's modern. It's not like some period piece that is would make sense with an H.P. Lovecraft story. It's mm-hmm. its own thing. And the creatures are probably some of the coolest shit I've ever fucking seen. Like I fucking love the creatures in this. It makes me want to like just watch certain scenes over and over again. Part of the uh, the reason I'm also obsessed with uh, pretty much things beyond the void, the whole reason that this show is called Beyond the Void or Beyond the Veil is literally because of shit like this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, this is my fucking baby. It's your yeah, bread and yeah, butter. Like, I fucking love that it's shit. It's your bread and butter. Yeah, I love, like, it's <laughs> kind of psychological, and I also like that aspect of it a whole, whole lot. It's just an obvious... And definite nod towards H.P. Lovecraft. And it, it even shows in the movie because they actually will use quotes from some of his work in the movie because it it, it just fits. Like, for example, they use uh, there's a, a line that's directly ripped from some of the reference of his stories. For example, like uh, name the name of the hotel and mm-hmm. the hotel owner Pickman. Mm-hmm. It's from the story called Pickman's Model. Then the illimitable gulf of the unknown, which they talk about when he's standing next to the rip, is from the last two paragraphs of Lovecraft's The Rats and the Walls, which is probably one of his best stories that he's ever fucking written. I'm not trying to put everything down, but that one, that particular story is one that I always remember. He also does, uh, he reads, Trent actually reads a line verbatim from Lovecraft's The Haunter of the Dark in when he's referencing the black church being the seat of an evil older than mankind and wider than the known universe. I don't know. I just, there's so many subtle things in this movie to me that I feel add to this movie and the atmosphere to it. Like the painting, the knocks on the wall or the glass, the the lady in the hotel, their tentacles under the door. There's like a weird faced people. It, it's, it's like, it's all just like perfectly evenly placed throughout the entire film to give it just this air of mystery and tenseness and just wonder, and it's just amazing. Sorry. That's me coming in my mouth. What are no, your thoughts? No, like, I, I totally, like, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> at all. Like, and it's it's fun, like, listening to your perspective of it, 
and understanding your perspective of it because I, I liked this movie, but I was I had to go back and watch it again. I feel like this movie deserves way more recognition. Oh, absolutely. Than Event Horizon, not to put it down, but they've literally never done like Screen Factory or Arrow needs to do a real job of fucking doing the special effect or like mm-hmm. features or whatever it is. Well, this this is definitely more of an original idea, an original story in comparison to Event Horizon. Sure, I mean it borrows. Far. It definitely borrows. It does borrows. borrow. It it absolutely does borrow. However, it borrows a lot less <laughs> than you think Event Horizon. From other ideas and other stories than Event Horizon does, and this is still pretty an original idea and it, it definitely takes you into different places of your mindset that you aren't anticipating necessarily when you come into the movie. And it is a real fucking thinker. Like it sure. You you don't know. I had to watch it twice. Really? For me to kind of like understand. I mean, one of my notes, literally, because I take archaic ass fucking notes like a cavewoman <laughs> on pen and paper when right. I watch shit. One of my notes is literally, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and it was, that's how I felt. I'm watching it going, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I'm so confused. That's what I like about it. I think it's Why surreal because madness is surreal. Yeah, and it's it's just like it's like everything would blend into everything if you're losing your mind. His reality that you're watching essentially right. is all fiction. Like it's right. this this whole complete and total mind fuck. He was creating film. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's so cool. Like when like coming to fruition at the end from how it starts in the beginning, it's just like holy fuck. And it does come full circle and it's really fucking cool to watch what they do. When you pay attention to all these little aspects of the film and go, holy shit, they started here and they ended here and then now it all kind of wraps up and makes a whole lot of sense. Like it's it's a interesting ride there, from start to finish. Like I don't hate this movie at all. I actually really, really enjoy it. There is it. so many quotable things from this movie that oh, I yeah. use all the time. Like I, I really I love it. I, I'm not trying to like put you down, but I mean, what what is it that you didn't like about it? Like, why is it that it didn't hit as hard as no. like something Event Horizon? Why do you think that is? I wouldn't say that there's not there's necessarily anything that I didn't like about it. Okay, well, why didn't um, it hit as hard? For then? me, it was a little bit harder to follow. Okay. And so that's the main thing. That's the main thing for me personally. Okay. Is it was a little like I had to go back and spend a little more time watching it a second time to kind of understand where they were trying to go with it and what they were trying to do. But as anything that borrows as heavily as they would with H.P. Lovecraft and kind of Stephen King type novels, like it's a thinker film. Right. It's something that you have to be in the right mindset and the right mentality to really sit down and watch and understand. And typically I'm in that space. However, the first time I watched that, this movie was this week and I wasn't in that space. Right. The first time I watched it. So I felt like it was a little bit harder for me to comprehend from the beginning. But when I went back and I reevaluated and watched it and took my time to understand what was going on, it made a lot more sense to me and I enjoyed it more. Okay. And so I I absolutely this and as I as I told you before we sat down to talk about this this week, these are probably my favorite films that we've talked about. Well, and so far. And you know what's interesting about this is that The New Nightmare, Freddy, you know, Freddy, The New Nightmare movie mm-hmm. came out around the same time that this did and they both have like that meta 
yeah sort of style so it's weird it's like Wes Craven and John Carpenter were doing both these type of movies at the same fucking time I remember going to the theater to see something I don't remember what it was and it might have been fucking New Nightmare but I remember seeing the poster on the wall for uh, In the Mouth of Madness and I was like I wonder what that's all about mm-hmm and I think, I don't even think I got to see it in the theater. I think I got to see it on VHS when it came out. And and I do think that that's part of it that goes to kind of speak between the difference between you and me mm-hmm. is the age gap sure. time frame difference of when these, when these movies, I mean, this came out in 94. I was four. Yeah, it did. Both of the, the both the films I mentioned. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and so for me, I've seen these more recently. Right. As far as to when you first you never were saw exposed, in the mouth of madness. I never did until this week. I'd right. heard of it, but I never actually watched it. And my my hus- my poor husband has been on my fucking ass about it for years. Really? That I hadn't seen it because he loves this fucking movie. That's awesome. And he he does. He loves it. He thinks it's fucking fantastic. He Mouse, loves, we gotta like, hang out, bro. Fucking Videodrome and all this other shit that you really really <laughs> like that Mouse loves and understands and just he's watched. But he likes the psychological element. He does, and I do too, though. Yeah. But it is a completely, all it is, is a age differential between you think? me and you and me and him and you guys are here, I'm here. That's the biggest difference. And so Event Horizon is a little you, bit It worse. all boils it down. And even though Event Horizon came out in 97. Yeah, but you were old. I still was exposed to this film 10 years ago. Right. Oh, Event Horizon? Yes. Yeah. So, and that was, this was something that was a little bit more wildly popular for me in my age demographic than sure. In the Mouth of Madness was. So, and also, I knew more of Lawrence Fishburne and a bunch of the other actors at the time than I did for people who were involved in In the Mouth of Madness. And In the Mouth of Madness is a little bit more less known right. than Event Horizon is. I mean, it depends on who you ask, but in... Most people that I could poll about it, they'll know Event Horizon over in the Mouth of Madness. If, like, Mouse likes Videodrome and he likes this one a lot, I think you also have to remember, I think this is a very body horror film in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of, like, surrealistic sort of body horror in this that is very similar to David Cronenberg in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, It is definitely far out the box for for, for, uh, John Carpenter in a way. even though the thing is probably close to it, to me, I'm just blown away that it was $8 million budget mm-hmm. because what they did with that money, they made that fucking money stretch like a motherfucker, dude. You're correct. They absolutely did. That's and amazing to me. It blows me away. one of my favorite John Carpenter films. Yeah? Like, I love Halloween. Sure. I love The Thing, and I love this. Yeah. I think it's this like the thing, then this one, then maybe, well, I don't know, video drumming it might have... They might have marital problems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some cool, like, there's some actually some pretty cool, interesting mm, tidbits on this movie. There are. I did watch the commentary on the movie. I hate to say it, but the version that they have for In the Mouth of Madness, if you're going to buy it, don't get too excited about the commentary because it's it's John Carpenter, right, which is awesome, and the lighting guy, which is also awesome, but they get so much into the lighting technical aspects of like what type of gels they were using, what kind of hertz they were using for the lights. Like, how do you make this scene set up like this? Which is amazing for a film student who wants mm-hmm. to be like a fucking director of photography. Like, amazing. Like, it's just a perfect movie for that, for commentary. Right. But for me, 
I was like, fuck it. I'm just watching the movie. Blow my fucking head off. Yeah, like when I got to a moment where I was like, ooh, I wonder where that church is or ooh, what did they do in this scene? I like flipped it over to the track and then like rewound it and then played it again just so I could hear it. I I totally thought that it was the same. Like when they come through um, the bridge. um, Oh, yeah. Okay. Across that bridge and like out and there's like the little bridge piece barn thing behind sure. them or whatever i totally thought it was the same one from the beetlejuice movie it kind of does yeah and so i did all this fucking extensive ass research because i was like this is the same one from beetlejuice and like, it wasn't and it's not <laughs> like it's it's not at all like it's it like, sounds like i think it's like a new it's all in ontario it's a little well i think that actually was in like connecticut really or something that specific scene they I, said I mean, that i the, could be wrong they said that the whole movie was shot in canada but yeah it was like i was i was a little heartbroken for a second yeah i was like oh my god like this is really cool something stupid that i noticed you know and then like <laughs> i did all this fucking shit and i mean i spent a while like going back and forth in comparison trying to images figure it out and like like reading all this <laughs> shit about where they shot it and whatever and i'm like nope these are two different places god fucking damn it well the opening scene you know when they do the reclamation there was like a huge asylum that they had it's a beautiful <laughs> shot by yes. the way huge open wide lens shot of the whole asylum it's technically uh, a water reclamation plant in ontario uh but it's beautiful man like that's a fucking awesome fucking setup dude like driving to work would be amazing right <laughs> um and then they break like the whole story like Essentially, guys, to give you an idea before I get too far into this, I mean, there's Trent, John Trent. He's a investigative kind of person that kind of like finds fraudulent people who try to like claim money on insurance and shit like that. And he goes in and does investigations for corporations or private entities to, t- to do some sort of investigation on the matter. And uh, he stumbles upon this guy who's missing this company hires him this publisher tries to hire him Sutter Kane is missing so they go to find him he thinks it's like a total setup and he's partially right you find that out a little bit later but they're not supposed to stumble upon this Hobbs End town it's a fictional town and Sutter Kane never showed up to the like spot that they were supposed to show up because he was on to something he's writing these books that are like I would compare him probably to like Stephen King, Stephen King. Right. yeah maybe Clive Barker's like had sex with Stephen King into a book and like the pages were stuck together and you just smelled like raisins <laughs> yeah I don't know why I said raisins. <laughs> but like essentially the California raisins had a starring side starring role in this. But but these books are like highly potent. Like the writing is so it like puts these people in a trance. They get addicted like heroin, like mm-hmm. junkies, dude. And these people just like want more and more and more and more and more. And finally when he gets this final book that he's after because they're supposed to be putting this book out called In the Mouth of Madness, which is the final book from Sutter Kane, and everybody's fiending for it and like having riots in the street to try to get it. Um Tron Trent is basically going after him. But there is a part in the very beginning they kind of like fast forward to the end in a way to to like for the very beginning. John Trent like kicks a dude in the balls, gets locked up into this fucking room. John Glover actually plays the Carpenters and everybody starts singing. 
It's only just begun. And that's so fucking beautiful to me. I mm-hmm. fucking love that. And there are all these crazy people are singing and he was like, oh my God. Like, he's like, I don't want to go crazy in here. I'm not insane. Yeah. But they have this like moment where the lights go out and then the glass is broken. The scene where the glass breaks, he actually just, Sam Neill got fucking hurt. He did. He like bad. Cut. Like, he got cut, and then they fixed it, and they he just had him mad. go on. Yeah, he was mad. He was so mad. I would be, too. <laughs> I love that so, shit, too. So I that love that jerk he was, like, reaction. So it. Yeah, that jerk reaction that he had was just, like, fucking, oh, oh God, you fucking, I'm bleeding. It was bleeding. natural. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually natural. And it's breakaway glass. It still hurts. Oh, yeah, it also cut your fucking shit. Yeah, it's not, like, real glass, though. Right. Which is really sharp. <laughs> John Carpenter did say that him and Sam Neill got along like most of the people in both of these movies have said that that Sam Neill's just amazing to work with. He has a, a really positive energy to work with. Um, he's obsessed with the Beach Boys. And I guess yeah. John Carpenter and him like got along over this. Carpenter also loved working with Charlton Heston, who was the, the head of the publisher uh, company for Sutter Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a really good role. Like I, I got to say, they also made like books for this movie. Not like anything with like sufficient writing inside of them, just the covers. Mm-hmm. And they put them over other books, but I fucking want those books. Like, yeah. I don't give a <laughs> fuck if there's empty pages or there's a romantic fucking jerk off fest in there about fucking vampires sucking each yeah. other's dicks. I fucking hope like, there's I one. want those fucking books, dude. <laughs> and I want, and there's a guy who actually will print them out for you. He really? like has like a high res version of it or i don't know if he recreated it or what but i want to pay the motherfucker because i want those (laughs) i'll put them on my shelf just on the fucking movie shelf just so i have them (laughs) put them in a fucking case and then like worship it with candles and shit and like call it satan out (laughs) (laughs) then then come on his horns you need to come all over his (laughs) jesus christ oh geez well there's there's some little little things that I kind of noticed as far as like um, little parts that kind of stuck out. I guess I'm speaking a little away from the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> um, but at one point when he's in like the insane asylum or whatever, he actually John Trent's character, Sam Neill, Sam yep. Neill mm-hmm. occupies cell number nine in his asylum. Okay. Um, but when he is staying at the Pikmin Inn, which is in Hobbs End. He was also in nine. He's in room number nine. Huh. And so these are like little things that I kind of like, and it's actually like a little note that I made about it because I noticed it. Really? But I, I don't know. I thought it was cool to me to notice that. Well, is there another nine anywhere? Because it would be like. I didn't notice any other nines because in reverse it's 666. Right, right, so, right. So yeah, yeah, I get what you're going at with yeah. the devil fucking incarnate thing. Like, I understand. <laughs> I want to come on his horns, dude. I want to come on his horns too. Like, I totally understand. <laughs> Um, but I, I thought that was super interesting and it was just a fun little thing that I, I kind of caught on with sure. like little tidbits that they try and tie into each other. But then another thing that I really liked and that I saw too was that the movie that he's watching like at the end of the yeah. film is like actually a real legitimate horror movie, which was... Well, no, there was... Oh, you mean when he's in the hotel? Right. Yeah. Which is one of 
John Carpenter's favorite movies. Which is of the all thing time. from another planet. Well, it's called Robot Monster. Oh, it was called Robot Monster? Yes. I was wondering if it was Thing from it's Another Planet. From, no, it's from 1953, <coughs> and it's called Robot Monster, and it's actually one of John Carpenter's favorite movies of okay. all time, so it's actually a legitimate fucking movie that they have on that he's watching, and I was like, when I first watched it, I was like, what is this shit? I remember hearing the horns from the movie. It was like, and I was like, is that it? Or you the a thing from another planet or some shit? I don't remember. You come all over horns is what you're getting uh, at. No, that was like this, and you and the fizzing. horns of like brass section. <laughs> oh, not like Satan's cum-worthy horns. horns. Not, not jizz-worthy horns? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> He's also got jizz-worthy eyes. Just, so, just when he bats him, I just want to squirt in his eye. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Talk about Satan, dude. Should we give him a call? Oh, Sam Neill or Satan? Which I would figure Satan's about? into that kind of you shit. You would finger Satan's into Sam I would Neil? finger in Satan j- in this shit. Sam Neil? He likes, wants to suck on a turd. All right. You'd finger Sam Neill in the shit. <laughs> All right, we're out of control. <laughs> but that's cool. I'm glad you found that. That's cool. Fun stuff. I didn't know that. Motherfucker. I, I mean, to be honest, I've been like fucking crazy today trying to put up the episode and stuff, so I just didn't have... Just like all frantic as fuck. Well, I watched, I listened to the commentary. My God, I wanted to put a gun in my mouth. Oh, it's awful. Just listening to the lighting guy talk. It's like, I appreciate that John Carpenter like is like trying to give that guy the light of day because he never really gets the the light light of of day. day. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's a lighting guy, director of photography, joke, joke, joke. (laughs) 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 But. Still, it's like, God damn, man. Like, if I was a lighting guy, I'd just be coming all no, over the place. Just, I can't. Christina was like, please switch it to the real movie. Oh, yeah. And no, then I had I to just... go back 30, 40 minutes. No, I, I gave up. I gave up, too. So that's why I switched back and forth. I was like, fuck it. I gave up. I took notes of shit that I noticed, and then I researched it to make sure I was right. Yeah. And I was, so go me. Do you know that church in the movie? Yes. Oh, my God. That church is the amazing. Black church or whatever. When they were out scouting for for locations for this movie, they just happened to stumble upon this church literally in the middle of nowhere. It's a boner worthy. It's a Greek Orthodox Christian church. Makes sense. And they called it the Black Church and everything mm-hmm. like that. But it's just... It's amazing to me. I was just like, wow, man, that thing is a fucking find of the century. Oh, it's insanely gorgeous. Like, what the fuck? And it's dark looking. They made it look mm-hmm. cool. And apparently, Carpenter was saying that he like paid the pastor or whatever, like a certain amount of money to donate to his church fund or whatever, so that they could shoot there. So oh, that's he, great. He didn't ask for it. He just offered it. Yeah. Did you did you see the the little tidbit? About the inscription that's on the doors. Oh, the I forget what it says. It says, let these doors be sealed by our Lord God mm. and let any who dare enter this unholy site be damned forever. Right. That whole part when they're opening the doors and the kids there. Oh, I loved it. It is cool. Um, that is a set, by the way. That's not the doors of the church, the actual church. So you- I was like. Kind of feel that I wanted bit. to go back and I totally forgot because I was just into the movie. But I don't think they have those same plaques on the door like they do in that scene. But that's all a set. I believe you're correct. Yeah. You know the dogs that run out of that church mm-hmm. on the sides, I guess? Why do they always use Dobermans as like Satan's dogs? I don't know. He, I don't understand that. It's They're not funny. scary to me. It's funny too because like John Carpenter was even like, I don't even really like using dogs. 
because they're violent. And he's like, you can't, they're unpredictable and you just don't know and people get hurt. I disagree a bit with that because I completely understand the idea behind having a dog as a representation of Satan or the devil. Right. Because that is that dates back very, very, very far. Yeah. In this whole mythology. Of oh, it. I don't mean like the breed or anything. But like I understand that. what he he's just saying doesn't like using to dogs. Use them as far right in yeah. in filming. Too much of a risk is what he was for saying. sure. Yeah. I just I the whole time I'm like why Dobermans? Well, they I, have I, three I dogs. It. They have the three dogs come around the side, and one of those dogs actually bit onto that guy's ankle, and he had to go to the hospital over it. Yeah. So. Yeah, they had a they had a pretty interesting little um, little tidbit of information trivia or what the fuck ever that they sure. used to describe it crazy credits or whatever that they had animal interaction was monitored by the American Humane Association mm-hmm. uh, with their onset supervision by the Toronto Humane Society and they put in there that no animal was harmed in the making of this film but human interaction was monitored by the Interplanetary Psychiatric Association and the body count was high and the casualties are heavy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I funny. love that. Like that stupid little credit that they put in there. I, you know, so I check. I, I usually check those, and I miss that one on this one. It's fucking That's hilarious funny. to me. Like I laughed my fucking ass off when I read that shit. I'm just like, this is the perfect little like side stupid credit that they got to give here, where they're like introducing something serious, and they go to something a little bit silly and right. tracky, and it's it was just really funny. That is funny. I loved it. It made me laugh. <laughs> I mean, I pretty much. I mean, there is more stuff that we could mention. Um, it's a lot. Do you have any favorite scenes? I yes! mean, I have a ton, but I have like nine. My favorite scene <laughs> from the whole fucking movie is actually when Linda Styles. Linda Styles. Yeah. Uh, Julie Carmen. Julie Carmen. Yeah. Right. So when she's coming out of this is a little bit further into the movie when she's coming out of the car. Yes. Oh. And she turns her head around. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> like, but she she comes out and first she kind of just peeks her head around the door and she's like super creepy and just like all eyes like and she's so intense with like her eye contact that she makes in this in this scene it's so good but it's so weird and disconnected oh yeah it's freaky absolutely completely disjointed and it's it's so well done and then all of a sudden she comes out and she's like flipped i literally my note literally is upside down bitch with like five exclamation points <laughs> Um, it is goddamn fucking incredible. I love it. Yeah. It's so fucking cool. And the little sound effects that they have of like the vertebrae fucking like popping as she's spinning her head around and all this. Oh, it's so fucking cool. And just visually it is so, they do it so often now in so many different horror movies and like, but that tops it to me in comparison to like early films nowadays and this, if you put them up against each other, this shit is fucking fantastic, and especially like how they actually did it. Right, is really fucking cool. Well, yeah, just well, the, and the, it's so simple what they did. Mm-hmm. It's literally one of the simplest things that they did. Absolutely, taped a fucking mask upside down on her head. They actually took a contortionist stunt double. Sure, and they did a prosthetic mask of her face. Mm-hmm. Turned and it put upside it on down. Her. But since she couldn't see the filmmaker because she had like so she couldn't see the director and she couldn't see her her points or whatever that she was supposed to hit her marks, essentially, because of her placement and the fact that she's a fucking contortionist and she has this big, crazy fucking mask on her face. She had to rely simply on sound 
to reach her marks in her placement. And it was super, it's super fucking cool to like, to read into that and see how she did it. And it's the cool element of being a fucking stunt double. Like she's a straight up contortionist with this crazy sure. mask. Well, no, I didn't think it was the same chick. Oh no, it's, yeah. no, I knew for sure it had to be someone else. Yeah. It has to be somebody that's a little more flexible. Yeah. <laughs> if she was able to do that, that's a fucking Good great on her, actor. Man. Yeah. Good on her. <laughs> It was so cool. I, that's that's my that's my that and any of the scenes with the kids. Oh man, I have so many. I'm sure you do. There's two quotes I just want to mention, and one of them's towards the end. Sutter Kane uh, traps Trent into the. He has this like really deep like conversation about how he's a creationist and how religious people don't really appreciate religion they don't pressure they don't pray enough to make like to actually believe what they're preaching and that he's actually god and how he can create anything and he's like well yeah he's like he's like I, everything i think and i write becomes reality and i thought i was making this up for years and he's like well yeah well your book sucks <laughs> I love that scene. It's so funny to me. Uh, another another uh, thing that he says while he's having that conversation with Trent, he also says, I think, therefore you are. And I just thought that was so like, because like I on my profile on Facebook, it's like I post, therefore I am. So I always think of that Shakespearean mm-hmm. uh, thing. But I thought it was kind of a nice little twist. It's very Shakespearean prose. Like. Yeah. How they did it. There's a lot of really great quotable moments in this movie. Fuck yeah. Um, the kid on the bike. Yeah, that was cool too. When yeah. they're driving, like I can't she's get driving. Out. When she's driving and like the, the road lines and stuff start to kind of dissipate and she sees this kid with the Joker card attached with the fucking like clothesline clip to his fucking wheel, which is so they can make motorcycle sounds, by the way. Right. <laughs> on his bicycle. And she sees him just kind of like Dry, like riding through the fucking darkness and then he comes back and he's getting older like every time and then right. he's just this old ass Einstein looking fuck and he's stuck and he's kind of explaining to her in a way that he's stuck and he can't get out of this loop and like he this is where he is this is who he is this is what he's become and it's this it's a super interesting see but that's what's beautiful about this film there's all those subtle touches mm-hmm. like that this kid is actually keen to what's going on and he's trying to get out of it yeah and he and he's stuck he's trapped in the loop and he comes back yeah. later towards the end of the movie and comes again full circle to making complete and total fucking sense like it's just it's so crazy like all the little things when you go back for, at least for me when you go back and watch this again that's what to me makes it a very interesting film mm-hmm. there's always something weird going on every like three minutes every five minutes so it's like you're never really bored at all. There's always some like weird occurrence. Right. Something to keep you going along and mysterious and interesting about it. So first main scenes that like I think really is kind of the turning point of the movie where you start to see the shit's not right is when the publisher's assistant, the uh, the editor, was it the editor? Yeah, it was the editor. Mm-hmm. He walks across the street while... Sam Neill's character and uh, the other guy, um, Bernie Casey, I think is his name. They're sitting at the table, like talking about how good he is as a fucking fraud finder. And then the editor walks over, busts out the window. Mm. And then he has like those eyes that have like two pupils or whatever, which is done by KNB effects, by the way. Mm-hmm. They came up with just simple context. Mm-hmm. But he breaks the window and he's like, do you read Sutter Kane? And he was like, what? 
And, it, and then they fuck? shoot him. Yes. And then that plays into it later. Like, it's so, like, this movie is so entrenched in yeah. itself. Like, that's what I love about it. That's essentially why I wanted to do the shot that we did, is because it's just, like, so into itself. Like, it's self-aware, almost. It's a dream within a dream within a dream within a reality within a reality. Yeah. Within a, is it a reality? Like, it's all over the fucking this place. This is not reality! This is not reality. That's another good line. It's so good. And another one that I really like... The character that's in the, he starts out, you first introduction to him is in the, for the church, and he's trying to get his son, essentially, like, it's like out. Kane! Right. Shoots his shotgun. Yes. And, um, and then later on, you see him again in the bar scene. And right. And it's just Trent's character and him. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like his name's Simon. I, I think I'm, I think that's his name. Um, and they have this kind of back and forth conversation between each other. And he kind of takes his like shotgun and kind of takes it and aims right. it at his head. And, you know, he's trying to tell him essentially like, what are you doing? Like, you don't need to do this or whatever. He says, and don't. His line is, I have to. He wrote me this way. Yeah, I love that. And he blows his fucking head off. That's and one of it mine. it <laughs> was so fucking poetically beautiful. Like, I loved it. Well, the like, movie just throws you all these little tiny scraps. Yeah, it does. And that's what I love does. about it. It's like, it's like, it's like Scooby Snacks or fucking little breadcrumbs to find your eggs. way home. Yeah. No, so, and I actually like really like talking about this movie more like with another person in perspective. It starts out normal. Like first five, ten minutes is like pretty normal, but there's like weird shit that happens immediately. And it's just like, what the fuck? And even when it's like, just starting out, the charismatic fucking Sam Neill is so cool in that role mm-hmm. that he just carries it, and makes it so much interest, so much more interesting. There is a couple of the other uh, scenes that I do really like. Styles is like disappears and she goes off and she runs into that pack of wild kids with all the sores and like fucking fucked up faces and they've got like blue eyes but like they're bleeding from the gums and like just weird she's like you're my mommy you know what today is it's mommy's day yeah and i was like yeah children of the corn yeah like like i loved it (laughs) i love every scene with the fucking kids just little things like i'm telling you like oh yeah even when she walks in to talk to to sutter kane and that hand comes up and grabs her and shuts the door. Like, just those little little things, man. Like, it's just like, ah, like, that's scared. That, first of Aww. all, that scares me every time I watch it. Like, it always just makes me jump. I'm like, God damn it, I always forget about that. <laughs> uh, one of the other things I really like that's got kind of an interesting story behind it is the old lady at the hotel. First of all, you see the scene of her <laughs> kicking her husband, who's chained to her ankle by fucking handcuffs, right? And she's like, shh, shut up. She kicks him and he's like, Aah. she's such a badass. And he's fucking <laughs> naked, first of all. Some naked ass fuck. I just, I got to see some naked grandpa ass, I guess. Like, hey, oh, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> and he had nice hair. He did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the story goes on a little bit. He comes back to the hotel and she's in the basement dismembering him with an axe. And she's got, like, tentacles and shit, like, going everywhere. And they combine so many different scenes together in that scene. Like, it's really interesting and and kind of fucking cool. They use a miniature for her in, like, 
the visual of her but then they cut away to like his arm and him like getting chopped up with tentacles near him so it kind of like it all like flows together really well it if does. you if you look really close you can tell it's a miniature right like now that i know it it's a miniature well and it's funny that you say that because first watching that i wouldn't have picked up on it looking back sure. now i can go oh fuck i can kind of see like, it damn it <laughs> and like no one can see what i'm doing but this whole time i've been doing like a flailing fucking spaghetti, spaghetti arm tentacle, tentacle nipples yeah. <laughs> tentacle nipples tentacle nipples because she's basically got fucking tentacles coming out of her cleavage like it's hilarious spitting milk out no she's just this <laughs> that would have been cool though it would have been fantastic if she spit milk out of Great her tentacles touch mm. Next time, John Carpenter. Yeah. Next time. Only it wasn't white. It was like yellow because it's like curdled. Yeah, it was old, gross. Curdled old yeah. milk. Ew. It's like 80-year-old woman milk. I'm sorry. It's just cheese It's just cottage point. cheese. Yeah, it just shoots out I chunks. Love cottage cheese. It's fine. <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, oh. Oh. Uh, please. My last one. I was going to say, I know you've got another one. And this one. is a big one, guys. Mm-hmm. There is a scene, and this is towards the end. I don't want to ruin it for you guys. So if you haven't seen this movie, you might want to shut your head off for a second. Earmuffs. Earmuffs, friends. Earmuffs. <laughs> um, so there's a scene where Sutter Kane is like talking to Trent. He's telling him the way of the world and how all this thing works and everything like that. And then all of a sudden he's like, I got to go, you know, like the, the they're calling me and I've got to go to them. And he rips open his face and it looks like he's ripping open pages from a book. And dude, this is where Trent finally has given up he has submitted to the crazy surrealistic nightmare that he has now been pushed into and he approaches this rip in the book which is very symbolic that he's a character in a story and these creatures are coming from this like darkness and his partner styles is reading from the book that he's a character in as he's standing next to the hole, and this whole scene is beautiful, and this is what she says as he's doing all these things. Trent stood at the edge of the rip, stared into the unlimitable gulf of the unknown, the Stygian world yawning blackly beyond. Trent's eyes refused to close. He did not shriek, but the hideous, unholy abomination shrieked for him. As in the same second he saw them spill and tumble upward out of the enormous carrion black pit, choked with the gleaming white bones of countless unhallowed centuries. He began to back away from the rip as the army of unspeakable figures, toiled by the glow from the bottomless pit, came pouring at him toward our world. I just love that, dude. No, I love that scene. And I don't, I think that that was actually written. Like, I tried to look it up a little bit to see. Like, I probably could have done more research on it, but I, I'm pretty sure that was actually the writer's choice. Oh, I'm sure. Philip Eisner. This is pretty good writing for a guy who's just, who's pretty much just a producer right now. Like, I almost feel like he should be writing more. <laughs> This is a pretty well written story. Yeah, I love that scene. That was probably one of my favorite scenes, actually. Too, yeah, in in the top, you know, five. There's too it's many just, to name. I could just name off a ton. Yeah, I, I figured. I deleted a few like, because I've I was like, "Fuck million, it." <laughs> like ideas, and I'm like, "That's fine. I want to hear your thoughts on it." <laughs> 
But like as I said, like this is kind of um, you know, and also it was Michael DeLuca. Yeah, Michael DeLuca. I yeah. Say. He said Philip Eisner. Oh, did I say Philip like, Eisner? That's Event Horizon. Oh, you're right. It's okay. I, I clicked on the wrong. It's okay. Note. Like that's totally like that's what I figured, and I was kind of confused for a second. I was like, wait, did he write both of these? What the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, no, f- yeah, Michael DeLuca. Who? But he, I was right about the producer thing. No, you're totally. No, he is a producer more than he is a writer, which is surprising to me. This is so well written. Very well written. And from the writer standpoint that I have inside of me that I wish I would pay more attention to. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. This was a complete fucking total mindfuck of a film. And it really makes you think. It makes you kind of take a step back and reevaluate it. And like I said, I had to kind of go back. I wasn't in the right mindset the first time I watched it. Right. So I kind of had to go back and reevaluate it for a second time. And I'm glad that I did. And then now that I'm sitting here talking to you about different aspects and elements of the movie, I appreciate it even more. Well, good. Yeah, that's awesome. It's great. I'm it's- very passionate about this film. And, I, I'm, and I'm very positive that Mouse, your husband, he likes it probably for the very same reasons I do. Oh, I'm sure. If he's a fan of david lynch or i mean excuse me david cronenberg then there's probably like a weird surrealistic psychological body horror kind of guy in him oh yeah because that's that's david cronenberg videodrome and if you ever want to talk videodrome i'm sure he will be on oh yeah a fucking heartbeat i don't know if we've done video i think we did do videodrome once but like i know i'm passionate about in the mouth of madness and it's pretty obvious which one's my favorite because i've said it like nine times already <laughs> Event Horizon, right? Yeah. What is your favorite? <laughs> of the two, personally, my favorite to sit down and watch that I can watch over and over and over and not get tired of is sure. Event Horizon. Perfectly okay. That's just my... Per- I love both films for completely, entirely <clears throat> different reasons. Yeah. However, the one I have the most fun with that I can sit down and watch repeatedly is Event Horizon. Yeah. Just because for me, the story... and It's Hellraiser in space. I sure. fucking love Hellraiser. Like I can't, I just can't do it. Like, <laughs> and there's so many great people in it that I love, and then so many people that go to different extremes in their acting that you haven't seen them accomplish necessarily. So, and Sam Neill is a prime fucking example. He's evil as fuck in that movie. Yeah, and it's complete polar opposite of who he typically plays, and he does a great fucking job. He's in four of my favorite movies. Um, you know, this one. Horizon. He's also in Possession mm-hmm. and Jurassic Park. And those four movies alone cover such a wide spectrum of like, Giant. I don't know. Like Possession isn't really something that showcases him, but it does in certain aspects. Like his style really shows in Event Horizon and in the Mouth of Madness and Jurassic Park. Like his Jurassic range. Park is yeah, he's got a pretty good range. He does. He's a little bit typecasted a little bit, but seeing him play as a crazy guy two different ways, like or a haunted guy, whatever you want to call it, I still appreciate Event Horizon greatly. Like I don't mean to take away from it, but if I have to like get a a, a lady or a man boner over it, it's gonna be fucking in the Mouth of Madness. I get it. It like, makes sense just my thing man and if you guys feel her on what she's saying with event horizon give a shout out if you feel me like in the in the mouth of madness give a shout out and whoever wins is the better human being no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i think that's pretty much it for the rest of the show here we ran a little bit longer but i i think i think it was worthwhile like i think we had some very good points i think we i probably had huge erections and squirtings of oh. mouths 
my lady boner was out of this fucking for world. event horizon yeah we both had for boners both, for yeah. both movies it was just like, <laughs> like never ending from the ceiling to the fucking i don't know if you guys do listen to this all the way to the <laughs> end like i hope you guys always do wink wink uh <laughs> Make sure that you share this with your friends and also let us know what you think of the movies that we talked about and which one's your favorite. We love hearing from you. If you got a video for some of the horror shot that we did this week on Monday, definitely fucking show us that. And I I will give you guys something, I promise. Yes. Like something worthwhile. So didn't die from the horror shot. (laughs) First one to do it gets it. So. Once Let it's done, know. yeah. We totally appreciate all the feedback that we get and everybody that tunes in, listens, and gives us criticism, whether it being constructive or just rude. We don't give a fuck. It <laughs> like, happens. We super appreciate it. Like <clears throat> We like hearing from you guys. We want you to be interactive. We want to know what your thoughts are. You want to know what you want to hear, what you want to see, everything like that. So keep at it. Keep letting us know. Like, And we are going to try to do true crime here soon. Like that seemed to be a very popular one. Um, I had only one person be very specific about a particular subject and I will hit you up to ask you more about what it's called so that we can research it a little bit. Maybe we'll do it for like a Monday episode or something like that. We'll okay. have true crime Monday. I love true crime. Yeah, so we'll I'm call it totally true crime in. and we'll like do some cool little fucking sound effects. Whichever but. one of you fucks suggested true crime thank you because i <laughs> a couple. love this shit there was like three three I'm or ready. four so next week guys is our last week for 90s so it's dipping into the next month a little bit but it'll be our last week for the 90s so i hope you enjoyed it we obviously couldn't cover everything we talked about doing scream and i know what you did last summer and we'll get to those eventually just give us just give us some time and next week guys don't forget we will most likely be doing werewolf movies from the 90s oh yeah they're gonna be some interesting ones some different ones one one of which i've never seen one of which i don't think you've seen either of them no i haven't so this will be a big kind of treat i'm ready Anyway, guys, thank you so much for stopping by this week. If you haven't already, please do go to longlivethevoid.com. If you're listening to us right now on iTunes, thank you for giving us a rating and review. You fucking rock. And, of course, stay weird, monsters. Tune in every Monday for a brand new episode.